Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 15. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength. He demonstrated his power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but in also the one to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And from Acts chapter 19, which is on page 1024. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul travelled throughout the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We don't even know that we've heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism were you baptised with, he asked them. With John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptised with a baptism of repentance. Tell the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other languages and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. Then he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things of the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them and met separately with the disciples, conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years, so that all of the inhabitants of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the message about the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths or work aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who heard evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, I recognise Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them all and prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Then fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. 
and many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, be. Thanks Lynn and Ben. My name's Dan. I'm uh, going to be leading us through our time in this passage. Um, I wonder if you could please keep that open. Uh, Acts 19, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we uh, again want to praise and thank you for your grace that you have made yourself known to us. You've reached out to us uh, in your word, through your son, by your spirit. And we pray, please, you'd be active among us this evening through that word and by your spirit, uh, that you would change us, Lord. Uh, We'd love for you to work amongst us in your good power to change us, conform us to the likeness of Jesus, change our thinking about the world and ourselves that we might see rightly, that our framework of understanding the world would be in line with yours. We want that, Lord. So please do that work among us, we pray. Amen. I wonder if you had the power, what's one thing you would change in the world? One thing you'd change in the world. Got something in your mind? There's plenty of things, isn't there? The world's a mess. We like to change things. Question is, how do you get the power to do it? I read this week about an English labor politician from the 60s named George Brown. don't know if you've heard of him. When he was young, he saw all sorts of problems in England, and he wanted to change them, fix things up. So he joined local council. thought, that'll, that'll help me. I can change things. He found, no, nothing. Can't do anything in local council. So he ran for parliament. He got into parliament. Sadly, he found the same thing. He found that they, they talked a lot. They voted a lot. Nothing really changed. So he pushed his way to the front. He became part of cabinet. He, he actually became deputy prime minister of England for a while. But to his amazement, he got there and he looked around and was like, where's the power? They could kind of change people's circumstances for a little while, but no real lasting change ever really happened. And so George Brown left politics disillusioned and infamously drunk. Maybe we need to attack this question from the other end. Maybe it's not top-down politics, but maybe it's the bottom-up, changing individuals. You've got people in your life you'd like to change, yeah? Family members, your boss, whatever it is. I often have people kind of coming to me and, and effectively saying, Dan, how do I change this person? Or worse, Dan, can you change this person for me? <laughs> no. No, I can't. I feel like a broken record. You can't do it. You can't change people. You can kind of help them change themselves, but you can't really change another person. So that here's the question we're left with. Where's the power for change? If it's not top-down, it's not bottom-up, where's the power for change? Because things need to change. The claim of our passage this evening is there is a power that can change people, can change whole communities, even nations. It's the power of the Lord Jesus, the power of his Spirit, the power of the news about Jesus, which itself carries the power of Jesus, changes people's eternal destinies, takes them from being people cut off from God, bound for destruction, to being people in the love of God, knowing God, right with God, bound for joy and glory. 
changes their eternal destinies, but also changes the day-to-day. There's so many stories around of communities who are once in darkness and fear and oppression and sadness, poverty. The news of the Lord Jesus comes in, and slowly but surely, transformation. The news changes whole communities because it changes people one by one. You can be changed. You can change. I wonder if anyone can sit here this evening and say to me, Dan, this is as good as it gets. Anyone? I hope not. Friends, we need to change, and we can change. I've got a friend named Mike who works uh, as a chaplain at uh, Silverwater Correctional Complex, that is jail, and uh, one of the wardens recently said to him, you know, you chaplains are the only ones who make a really significant impact on the rehabilitation of these inmates. You're the only ones. This warden was not a Christian woman. Um, He told me, Mike, my friend, told me about the, the chaplain in Lithgow Jail who, when they get a really rough inmate who's done something really dumb and all their correctional measures fail, read punishments, they call in the chaplain and they say, do your thing. They, they say to him, um, we can't do anything. We don't know what you do, but you change people. You notice that? George Brown can't change things from on top. We can't change things from underneath. These non-Christian prison wardens are saying, you change people. How? Well, friends, this evening, we find out how we meet power in Ephesus. We see Paul bring the news of the power of the kingdom of God, the the power of the Spirit of God, the power of the Lord Jesus into Ephesus. And we see change. This is the climax of Paul's public ministry. Uh, He stays there for two years. It's longer than he's been anywhere before, probably around about the year 53. During his time there, the whole province of Asia hears about the Lord. Uh, Luke gives it two chapters. It's a big, it's a climax, right? We've been leading up to this point. We've been seeing Paul just spend a little bit of time in all these different places around the Mediterranean. And I found it interesting. In each place, he sort of meets a different um, characteristic. Each, Each city has a different characteristic. And the gospel sort of meets each of those things. I think it's a little bit like chemistry in high school, um, or what I wish chemistry was more like. Uh, you know, when you add the two chemicals together and you see what happens, it changes color. Ooh, bubbles, that's better. Um, do you remember sodium? That was the climax for me of chemistry in high school. It was like bubbles and steam. Oh, this is great. This is as good as it gets. It's great. But this is what we've been seeing in Act as, as Paul takes the good news of Jesus to first, let's say, Roman power. It meets Roman power in Philippi, chapter 16, and we see what happens. Chapter 17, it meets some Jews in Thessalonica, and we see what happens when you add them together. Then it meets the the intelligent philosophers of Athens, and then it meets the rank pagans of Corinth, which we've skipped over. After Corinth, Paul travels back to his home, Palestine, comes through the interior of Turkey and to Ephesus, and then the gospel meets power. Ephesus is big on power, economic power, political power. Uh, They're at a big crossroads, but also spiritual power. 
magical power. And that'll be significant for today. But what's the result when we add the gospel to this power? The gospel hits like a brick, doesn't it? It shakes the place. I want to look at it under two headings. And the first is this, powerful kingdom signs. Would you look with me at verse 8? Chapter 19 and verse 8. Then Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things of the kingdom of God. I think this is the topic here, the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God has come. I think that's what the first seven verses are all about, that, that weird bit about these 12 disciples who we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. These guys who've been baptized under John the Baptist's baptism. So what these guys were, were kind of uh, were baptized into was the message of repent because there's a king coming down the track. So, so look at verse 4. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. They had this forward-looking, it's not quite here yet. Paul's message is, it's here. The king has come. He's, he's come into this world enslaved by darkness and sin and death, and he's, he's, he's come into it through, through the king Jesus, and he's now rescuing people out of it. He's establishing his kingdom of light where he reigns over his people by his spirit. It's come, the kingdom is here. And in case the people in Ephesus don't believe Paul that the kingdom is here, God backs him up. God proves it with powerful kingdom signs. So see verse 11. Verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or work aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Notice who's performing them? God. God's backing up Paul's message saying, yes, the kingdom has come. Look at it. Use your eyes. See, the kingdom has come. The king is here. And the signs were extraordinary, weren't they? Just touching a work apron. Especially in contrast with what follows this strange Jewish exorcist's bit. Um, so these guys, the seven sons of Sceva, we're hoping none of them have a lisp. Be awkward. It's hard when you can't pronounce your own name. They think they've got this new technique, this new kind of little trick that they can use. So verse 13 some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. It's this new trick, this new kind of power over here that they don't quite get. These guys, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into, did they? So, so verse 15, if we read on, the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them, so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. Oh my goodness. The power of evil in this place is overwhelming, right? Seven guys against one, and he gives them a beating. Contrast, 
Contrast that to Paul. Verse 12. So that even face cloths or work aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Do you see the contrast? Seven grown men versus face cloth. Right? And King Jesus. The power of the kingdom has come into Ephesus and is at work against the forces of evil with great strength, great power. And when the rest of the city around hear about what's happened, verse 17, read verse 17 with me. This became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Then fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. I wonder, were you in uh, Sydney during the 2000 Olympics? Some of us were, yeah. There was this kind of palpable vibe, vibe around the city. Do you remember that? You kind of feel it. It's kind of playful, relaxed vibe. Imagine if, if a whole vibe engulfed Sydney once again, but it was like this. This kind of awe and reverence about Jesus, that people were talking about Jesus with reverence. And there's a sense of kind of contemplation around our city, this awareness that there is a king who is over us and we need to respond to. Can you imagine that? How would it happen? It would probably happen the same way it happened in Ephesus, wouldn't it? That we would speak of the kingdom would speak of the king, the Lord Jesus. There is power in his name. And second, speak and demonstrate the power of the kingdom. I would love for God to reach out his powerful hand and do great works and miracles among us that just made Sydney sit up and go, oh my goodness, what the Christians are saying is true. Jesus is the king. Bring it on. I mustn't forget as well, though, that There's powerful works and signs and demonstrations of the kingdom that aren't quite so impressive, but are just as much powerful works of the kingdom of the Spirit in us. The powers of darkness are still very much at work in our lives, uh, in individuals, uh, very much at work shaping uh, what our culture values and how it thinks and our ideology, uh, wanting to promote darkness and sin, things like materialism, Whatever will just drag us away from the light and the truth and goodness. And yet, King Jesus has arrived and set up his kingdom and is rescuing people out of the darkness and bringing them to himself. Friends, we demonstrate the power of the kingdom when we oppose the darkness and say yes to King Jesus. It can be as mundane as saying, No, I will not live for materialism. I'm not just going to live that empty life. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to live for eternity. That's actually the power of the kingdom at work in us. It's a demonstration of it. When we live for more than just ourselves, when we seek purity rather than the moral dilapidation of the culture around us, this is the power of the Spirit at work in us. Because Satan wants to drag us back down again. As we stick with Jesus, he has no hold on us. For Jesus is king. He is powerful. 
who will hold us, when he is for us, who can be against us? Well, friends, how would Sydney be transformed? It'll be as we speak, speak of the kingdom, and then as we demonstrate the power of the kingdom. I, I haven't mentioned one demonstration or sign of the kingdom yet that's in this passage, and I want to give it the whole next point, and that is powerful kingdom repentance. We don't often think of repentance as a sign of the power of the kingdom. We like to think of kind of impressive miracles and things. But they belong together. Remember when Jesus came, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. They live together. Look with me at verse 18. We'll see what happens in Ephesus. Verse 18. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books, these are magic books, spell books, and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Why do people want power? We want power because we can do anything, right? When we have power, we have freedom, we, we can grab hold of pleasure, we can grab hold of security, we can grab hold of status. The Ephesians try to grab hold of power by magic. It was through magic that they would get their pleasure and their status and their security and all these things. But they were confronted with the overwhelming power and goodness of Jesus. And all of a sudden, this power of magic, it, it didn't, didn't seem so good anymore. It didn't seem to fit in this new world as they saw it where Jesus is king. And so they had a public book burning. Uh, many of you have had this experience. You were living in darkness. You were living for futility, just however you wanted to live. But then you, one day you were confronted with King Jesus and his goodness and power and grace, and he wrenched you out of the darkness into the light. And when you stood in the light, you looked at your life and oh, these things don't fit anymore. This can't be, I can't live like this when Jesus is king. And you repented. And sometimes that's costly. Many of you will experience that. It's costly to repent. Look at the cost it was for the Ephesians. They calculated their value of these books and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. If you're unaware of the um, exchange rates, like me, that's over $10 million worth of repentance. Friends, this is a powerful demonstration of the work of the kingdom. In Ephesus. And I've seen it amongst us too. I've seen not too long ago, in the last week or two, a guy breaking up with a girl because it was not a godly relationship. That's costly. It cost him pleasure. I've seen a guy trying to throw out drugs out of his life. He's been an addict for ages. The drug is his comfort. It's his security blanket, but he says, you know, Jesus is king. It doesn't fit anymore. It's got to go. A guy leaving a job where he, because he felt he couldn't be godly anymore in this job. That, that's a big cost. Imagine losing your job. The guy moving a computer from his bedroom to a communal room so that he couldn't look at porn so easily. That's a cost. 
of privacy. A girl confessing her sin to a fellow sister and asking her to keep her accountable. What's the cost? That's a big cost. The cost is reputation. But each of these works are just powerful works of the, of the kingdom in us. Because it work at us through power. Friends, uh, a little while after uh, Paul was in Ephesus, he then wrote a letter back to, to Ephesus, and Ben read a bit of it out. He's still rattling on about power. He said in that section, God in his power raised Jesus from death to life. And then Paul goes straight on chapter 2. God in his power is raising you from spiritual death to spiritual life. Not just so you can go to heaven, but so that you can live now doing good works. The power that rose Jesus from death to life is at work in us that we might repent and live well. I hope you see, friends, that the power here is not dry, dull, and repressive. It's freedom. It's freedom to come under the lordship of Jesus, the king who would not just be demanding of us, but would die for us, love us, and say, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. This is the work of power amongst the people of Ephesus. I wonder, do you know this power in your life? Has God been at work in your life to take you out of living for darkness? And bring you to live in the light, following King Jesus. Well, may we know that work among us as a church. And not only for our own sake, may we know it amongst us for the sake of Sydney. Um, If you know Acts 19, you know you read on a bit further, and the whole city is shaken by repentance. Because all these people are turning away from idols, and it just shakes the city up. Can you imagine that in Sydney? Can you imagine just just one example? All the adult shops close. There's a lot of them, isn't there? Does anyone know why there's so many? Obviously the demand, right? I can't believe it. The demand must be huge for these places. Imagine they all close. It's not a crazy thought. It's not just theoretical Wales, 1904, 1905, 100,000 people turn to Jesus and repent. Taverns go bankrupt. Drunkenness halves. Crime halves. The judges twiddling their thumbs. The police, what are they going to do? In one town, there, there was 17 constables, and they didn't know what to do. They formed three quartets that sang in the churches. How's that? The guys working in the wharves started returning all the stuff they'd stolen until their bosses said, can you please stop? We don't have any room left to store all the stuff. The one bad point of this revival was that transportation slowed because apparently the horses couldn't understand their drivers anymore because they'd stopped swearing. Oh. <laughs> What are you saying? This is not just theory. This is not just a nice idea that you read about in the Bible. It's true. It happens. Why not among us? May God be at work by his power, the power of the kingdom, to be 
to be at work among us to change us. Paul, not long ago, has left Corinth as the last big city he was in, the last city he spent much time in. A little while later, he writes a letter to the Corinthian Christians and says this, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk, but a matter of power, of change. Friends, being a Christian is not just a matter of talk, of coming to church and sing some songs and read your Bible as fantastic and essential as those things are. It's a matter of power and change. I was so glad that the fireworks were going off before. I thought that was so appropriate. Power. May that power be seen among us and known among us. Uh, Ephesians, uh, his time in Ephesians has a conclusion in this way, a sort of a summary in verse 20. In this way, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. Paul's had all these, oh, sorry, Luke's had all these little summary lines throughout Acts. We haven't mentioned them very much. This is the only one that mentions this power, this prevailing kind of word. That's what was happening in Ephesus. So verse 16, see that with me? Verse 16, then the man who had the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them. And in Ephesus, the word of the Lord prevailed over culture and people. It overpowered the place. May he do that among us as well. May he have that power, that overwhelming, overpowering work in us that we might change, repent, come more and more under the lordship of King Jesus, his good, good lordship, his kingdom. And then through us, may he change Sydney around us. May his kingdom come. That's our prayer. And I'm going to pray that prayer now. I'm going to use the words of an old prayer that may have been used earlier, but I'm going to repeat them again, and then we will sing. Please pray with me. Sovereign God, may your cause, not our own, engage our hearts. We appeal to you with greatest freedom to set up your kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. Perhaps in our lives, perhaps in our families, perhaps in our city. Glorify yourself and we shall rejoice. We adore you that you are God and we long that others should feel it, know it, rejoice in it. Oh, that all men might love and praise you, our God, that you might have all glory from the intelligent world. Let sinners be brought to you for your dear name's sake. Father, to the eye of reason, this all seems impossible. But you can accomplish great things. Yours is the cause. And it is to your glory that people should be saved. Lord, use us as you will. Do with us what you will. But oh, promote your cause. Let your kingdom come. Amen.